Thank you. Have a seat. Yeah, I like that vision of the boxes because I do really feel like New Heights is spiritually moving. Maybe not physically, but spiritually we're moving. We're in a time of transition um, and a time of prayer and discernment. And so I hope that if you are hearing from the Lord on uh, where we are headed, where we might go, that you would um, make sure to be in conversation with me or with Daryl or with Matt Scott. We all want to hear from you. Um, This is a, a time of transition, but it's also a time of God's good provision. And so I'm glad that you're here with me. We are in the fifth chapter of the New Testament book of First Corinthians. Um, Keith and I have three children. We have two teenage girls, and then we have a nine-year-old boy. And you might imagine that life is not always easy for the nine-year-old boy with two teenage older sisters. This week I was on one side of the house, and the kids were on the other side of the house, and I heard his cry from the other side of the house, I live in the land of freedom. I can do whatever I want. I believe that this is what Paul is hearing from the church in Corinth. The dirty truth is that there's a scandal in Corinth. There's some discrepancy on the details. Some say that this is a case of incest. But um, others just say this is a scandal. They can't believe that this is happening in the church at Corinth. There may be a believer among uh, the church at Corinth that is cavorting with his stepmother. Or it might be that there is this wealthy benefactress in the church that is taken up with her stepson. Either way, it's not a good situation. And Paul is concerned that the disciples in Corinth would tolerate a situation that no self-respecting pagan would tolerate. So uh, their reasoning is, we are in Christ, we are above moral restraints. They are, in fact, saying, we live in a land of freedom. We can do whatever we want. And this is Paul's reply. So it's in chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 6. Would you stand and read the scripture with me? This is what Paul says. Your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch, as you really are unleavened. For our Passover lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber. Do not even eat with such a one. You may be seated. About five years ago, uh, when we still watched movies on DVD at our house, uh, my son, who was then a preschooler and was obsessed, very focused on horses, got a hold of one of his older sister's DVDs. Um, it was an American Girl movie. Did I mention to you it's not easy to be a younger, sis- younger brother with two older sisters? <laughs> Poor guy. He didn't, have, he didn't have much of a selection. 
But this movie did have a horse in it. It was called uh, Felicity. And as preschoolers will do, he watched this movie over and over again until he had parts of it memorized. His favorite scene was when Felicity and a friend of hers sneak onto someone else's property to visit a horse. And when they are caught, the owner of the horse yells at the kids, Get off my property, you little trespassers. We watched that scene over and over again in our house. There was a Sunday when I was free from any assignments here at the church. And so I got to sit with my family during worship. And it was a communion Sunday. So in preparation for communion, the congregation prayed the Lord's Prayer. And as we prayed the Lord's Prayer after the line, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. My son called out, you little trespassers. (laughs) That is essentially Paul's reply to the Corinthians. You little trespassers. First of all, I think that Paul wants them to see that they bear some responsibility in the situation at the church. Metaphorically, Paul writes about dough and yeast and how a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven affects the whole batch. And it's as if he says you, and that's collective you in Corinthians, so it's everybody, you together are a batch of dough and you guys are a puffed up group. You boast that you are above morality You are spiritually so free that morality doesn't even matter. The thing is, Paul says to them, the leaven got to you. The one ingredient has changed the whole batch. You are a puffed up group. What one person does affects everyone else in the group. Family systems theory holds to the belief that changing one component in a system or one One aspect of a group, one individual in a group can alter the whole group, can alter the whole system for better or for worse. So if you have a marriage or a family that is in trouble, a family systems counselor would not need to see the whole family or both partners in the marriage, but just one individual. Because if one person in the marriage, or one person in the family changes the way that they act, the whole system, the whole group will act differently because we are so interconnected. Much of what we do is in relation to one another or it's even in reaction to each other. What you do is important to the people around you. And conversely, what people do around you is important to you. And Paul wanted the Corinthians to see this very truth. That who we are and how we are matters. It matters because it changes and it alters the people that we are in community with. So this is, I think, a tough mirror for the Corinthians to look into. And it's a tough mirror for us to look into as well. So often we use this passage to judge other people. So we hold the mirror up for other people and we say, look into this mirror. What you are doing is wrong. Paul says so. When instead the principal theme is hold the mirror up to yourself. Church, check yourself. 
Look at yourself in the mirror. Step 10 in any addiction recovery program is daily accountability. So it's about checking ourselves as individuals. Continue to take a personal inventory. And when you are wrong, admit it to the person that you're in relationship with, to the people you're in relationship with. I like the way that one woman described this practice of daily accountability, the effect of this practice of daily accountability by saying, you don't have control over whether or not a bird lands on your head, but you don't have to let it build a nest there. Daily accountability for yourself. Take an inventory of what you've done, what you've said, and when you're wrong, admit it to the people you're in relationship with. It is, I think, appropriate for us this weekend that the Corinthians are crying out independence, and Paul's reply to them is interdependence. You are related one to another, and that's important. I don't exactly get all the ways that this truth of interdependence could play out in churches if we allowed it to, because so often we default to the idea that faith is a very private matter that we keep to ourselves even when we come to church and we allow other people their space as well. I'm listening right now to this podcast that's done by the Faith Walking founders Jim Harrington and Trisha Taylor about how men and women can exist well together in relationship with one another in the faith. And when the conversation turned to how do men and women work together in the church and what do we need from each other, they basically landed on the idea that we need gratitude and accountability from one another. And I think that's true in any group, regardless of your gender, that we need gratitude and appreciation for each other, and then we also need accountability. We need to say to one another, how we are impacted by the other person's words or impacted by the other person's actions for better or for worse. Paul refers to the church in this passage as the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And I think that's basically what he's talking about, is gratitude and accountability. You are to be a batch of dough, That is about sincerity and truth. So sincerity is always about how our words or our actions match up with what is our motive. So I'm saying what's true for me, or I'm living out the truth for me. And then truth for Paul is always about the greater truth, the capital T truth. I think it should be capitalized in the New Testament when Paul writes it because he's talking about the gospel truth, the truth of the greater love. So we match our sincerity with God's great love. And that's how we interact with one another. So I believe that we are to see that we bear some responsibility for each other. That we are partly to blame when things go awry in in a community. And Paul says that these trespasses that take place in a community, he says to the Corinthians, they belong to you. They belong to all of you. They are yours to clean up. But Paul is also warning the Corinthians at the same time that he's telling them about their responsibility. 
He's also warning them. He wants them to see that they are in a land that is not theirs to claim. They are, in fact, trespassing. So when he says to them, you little trespassers, he's warning them, get off that property. Get off that land. And he does this by referencing a uniquely Jewish story, which is so curious to me because not many of the, of the Corinthians have converted from Judaism. They're a bunch of Greeks and Romans. They're Hellenist Christians. So um, why would he talk to them about the Passover? They're not going to get it. I don't understand what, what the connection is. But here's, here's what I see as I've thought about it this week. The Corinthians say, we are free. We claim this freedom. And Paul then, in response to them, says, let me tell you a story about some free people. When God called his people out of slavery into freedom, they were to mark the doorposts of their homes with the blood of the Passover lamb. And the blood of the Passover lamb set them apart. The blood of the Passover land set them apart as people who were spared from destruction. And that destruction took place outside of their homes. So I think Paul is referencing two different spheres of existence. One that is a sphere of destruction and the other is is a sphere of deliverance or protection. He says, remember, let me tell you this story and know that God's people were protected inside their homes under the covering of the blood of the Passover lamb. But if they chose to go outside, they would be dealing in a sphere of destruction, a place of destruction. Then Paul takes this next step of telling them that this is not just a story in history that I'm telling you, a story long ago. But he tells them instead, this is your story as well, because he says Christ is our Passover land, lamb. Christ is our Passover lamb. So this story, it's not just their story, it's our story also. Richard Hayes wrote that in Christ, we are protected from destruction We are set free from a power that wants to captivate us, and we are sent on a journey to a promised land. So Paul's words to the Corinthians and to us are, don't go back. Don't go back and play outside in Egypt. Don't dabble in those forces that will want to captivate you. Wonder if you are wondering what those forces of destruction might dream up as distractions on your journey to the promised land. Well, Paul spells it out. He gives six things, and we read them together, that are a vice list. Six things that are a part of a list of vices. It's a hard list to read, and I believe it's hard to read because we all kind of dabble in these things. He starts with sexual immorality, but that's because that's what he's teaching about, what he's talking about. Then he moves on to greed, and, well, he's about to start writing about greed in the next few paragraphs. He talks about idolatry. He mentions idolatry, which is just setting someone or something up as your God. He talks about drunkenness. And slandering, which is to speak maliciously about another person in the community. And then robbery or theft. 
those are the six vices, he says, that kind of can lead us into a path of destruction. Now, Paul probably didn't dream up this list, this vice list. If he did dream it up, it's amazing because you can find this list in Deuteronomy as well. (laughs) The list in Deuteronomy calls for the death of the person who practices any of these six vices. And Paul doesn't call for the death of the person who practices any of these six vices. Instead, I think he suggests by giving them the list that these are places where you deal in a sphere of destruction. It's where destruction reigns. So he's warning them, don't go here. Stay where you're protected. Don't go into the sphere of destruction. So the question then becomes, where are you going to live? To choose your sphere. Daniel is right. He does live in the land of freedom. I mean, he's our third child. We pretty much let him do whatever he wants to do. (laughs) But as a loving parent, I don't want him to play football in the street. I don't want him to shoot his BB gun towards the neighbor's houses. And I don't want him to sit down for a snack in front of the cleaning supply closet. If I were to see him in those situations, I would intervene. I would go and I would help him find a better way. Thomas Merton wrote, The love of God seeks us in every situation and seeks our good. And I believe that that's true. Wherever we are, God's love is there seeking us. And God's love desires our good. The question then becomes, will we accept these good things? Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we bless you and we thank you this day that you desire and provide for us good and excellent things. We ask, Lord, that you would allow us to lean, to rely upon you and to rely and depend upon one another. Lord, we remember that your Son, our Lord and Savior, did teach us this better way. And that on the night before he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink. From this, all of you, this is my blood, a new covenant. It's poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Almighty God, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit upon these gifts, this bread and this wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ, redeemed by Christ's blood for the world that surrounds us. We ask, Lord, that you would make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.